Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Good evening, good afternoon, good night. Thanks for listening. This is Talking Knicks. The Knicks had a up, mostly down week. <laughs> They're one and two, one and three, depending how you want to measure on it. They're trying to figure it out. We're trying to figure out. Let's talk Knicks. The New York Knicks select Kristaps Porzingis. Post the toes, puffing and stuffing. Again, igniting and exciting the guard crowd. Bum, bum, bum. How's it going, boys? I'm, I'm joined this evening by... Thomas J. Piccolo and Kenneth Andrew Poon. Boys, Tommy, how are you? Jake, I'm doing well, man. Doing well. Just wrapped up a nice little weekend over here. And, uh, you know, the Knicks, they struggled at times, but um, they ended on a nice note here. So I'm uh, No Knicks. I'm tell, tell the people what you did today. <laughs> what did I do today? I went to a bridal wedding expo with my fiance mm. here in Stanford, Connecticut. Uh, we went and checked out a bunch of DJs, a bunch of photo booth vendors, you know, uh, people, caterers for the food, just really just living the dream over here. I couldn't ask for a much better Sunday. The ideal Sunday. Ken. The ideal Sunday. <laughs> and I went, actually over, I went over and popped over and saw uh, my little brother, Mikey, who lives with Kenny's younger brother there in Stamford, Connecticut. But uh, yeah, Kenny wasn't there. Nor was Greg. Ken? Well, I don't, I don't know how to follow that. I uh, also had a nice weekend, uh, just hanging out pretty much. Uh, spent the entirety of today just, you know, watching TV and then waiting for the Knicks game to start. And it did, and they won, which was nice. Uh, notably, Greg's not here because he's working after he, you know, said last week that I couldn't be on because I was working. So, you know, a little, uh, little turnabout there. Jake, how was your weekend? Man, it, it was pretty good. We had a, a holiday party Friday night during the Heat game, uh, my girlfriend's holiday party. I guess they do it after the holidays. You save a couple shekels because you're not competing with others for holiday parties. Yeah, so it was, it was, it was pretty nice, though. Um, had, had a couple adult drinks. Saturday was extremely mundane. And then watched a little football, watched some Knicks. Had a great Talking Yanks podcast today with uh, – Josie McFly, a.k.a. the guy who had the reaction video after the Devers home run this year. First Yankees guest on Talking Yanks, so it was uh, pretty good stuff. And then, yeah, it was <laughs> kind of finished by an exciting Knicks game, and I guess we'll start there. It, it was a Knicks game that shouldn't have been exciting. <laughs> they uh, they played the, at, at the Dallas Mavericks tonight. They <laughs> The biggest thing that jumped out for us was Derek Harper's half halftime retirement at first it seemed like it went forever but the Knicks kind of dominated the game and then with a couple minutes left (laughs) Dallas comes back ties it up and they're playing this dominant style of football that the Knicks just can't compete with because it I I don't know it, it looked like Monday Night Raw or something Tom what what did you pick up from the Mavs game tonight what what are you thinking yeah, Jake, I like the unorthodox style here, though. Going with the uh, the most recent game, usually we'll go chronological. But you're I'm going an unorthodox in guy. Yeah, the wedding, I mean, the wedding, the bridal, the bridal expo has me shook, Tom. 
<laughs> We're growing up so fast. I mean, the Mavs coming in, into this game actually have been playing very well. So I I saw that uh, coming into the game, the Knicks were 1-7 in seven in their past eight. And during those past eight games, the, the Mavs are actually the best shooting team in the NBA. They've been on fire lately, so uh, with, with one of the best offenses in the league. So I was really curious to see how the Knicks were going to do in, in slowing them down, especially in Dallas, because New York's really struggled on the road, obviously, as we've talked about at length. And, I mean, it, it came down to the last couple possessions. It came down to crunch time where New York has been really, really bad lately. I wrote an article about it. It's on a lot of basketball. Go check it out. But, uh, yeah, the Knicks have really struggled in crunch time recently. Over the past, like, 10 games, they've been bottom five in the league in net rating. And they've mostly just really struggled to score. And, you know, tonight wasn't actually that different. <laughs> they, they didn't have an easy time scoring, but they still got the job done. And, Kenny, I, I want to go to you here. I want to hear like what you what you saw down the stretch there and how the Knicks were able to to beat the Mavs in a uh, in crunch time. Yeah, and I mean I I think Jake kind of hit the the big topic on the head is like down the stretch it was wild as far as you know the refing and everything. There was a couple plays where like there was the one where Devin uh, Devin Harris just like he hugged Jared Jack and dragged him down, and then um, like after that. They call the foul on Jack, and then there was the other play where Jack made a floater and then like got decked by uh, Harris, and they didn't call a foul on that. And like I don't want to harp too much on the refing, but I will again when we talk about Miami. But like it was questionable refing down the stretch, and um, you know some again some weird lineups with uh, Hornacek. There was that few minute stretch when the Knicks weren't scoring, so he he put Porzingis back in earlier than he would. And then a couple minutes later, he took him out and put in Hernan Gomez and let him go for three minutes in the fourth when he's played, you know, barely at all this season. But in the end, you know, they escaped with the victory. Um, there was the shot by Berea that uh, it was kind of like the Anthony Davis shot a few weeks ago where, you know, the shot went up. He was like, oh, this is it. Knicks are going to lose. But he missed. We got the rebound. Courtney Lee hit four uh, clutch free throws down the stretch, and we got the win. So can't complain too much. Um, it's it is what it is. Yeah, Kenny, and- let's let's dig into the to the ref thing real quick since we're here. Uh, it was just it was really jarring to hear Mike Breen really just going in on the refs like that. You never hear him do that. He's usually such a a level headed professional, and he just couldn't believe what he was seeing. Uh, I mean, yeah. Jake, were you hearing Breen there? That was nuts. It it was. I mean, it was a joke. I mean, any if if you're a Mavericks fan, if this was talking Mavericks, you should be saying the exact same thing. I mean, we're obviously biased to the plays that we're keeping an eye on, but I mean, at at one point, it looked like Jarrett Jack and JJ Barea were Indian leg wrestling or something like that. <laughs> that that wasn't basketball. Uh, the I mean, the Devin Harris Jarrett Jack charge play, even the jumper that Porzine. Porzingis took he got whacked and it was I I, I don't know I, I think one of the generic lines out there is keep you know call it however you want but keep it consistent but it I mean it it like passed it passed like the player safety line like you were wondering what was going to happen next so I mean that it it has to be mentioned it was the I mean the fourth quarter of the game was kind of where this game was decided and it was 
I, it was kind of wild to watch you and you didn't know I I we were all texting each other and I said if you're the coach there what do you tell the players do you tell them to play more physical do you tell them to play their normal game because if if I'm the player in that situation I don't want to hear play my normal game when I've got Wesley Matthews bear hugging me up and down the court so so yeah, I don't and even know. not even in the fourth quarter but certainly it was most visible in the fourth quarter but Early on in the game, like there was a lot of very late whistles, right? And there was one, there was one shot where the refs were waving it off. Uh, Dallas made the shot, and then the refs like, "All right, never mind. Forget the wave off. We're gonna count that one." And everyone's like, "What is going on? Like, you you waved it off." And then there was another one later on um, where Dallas took a shot, they missed it, and then like after the rebound had been gathered, they blew a whistle and called a foul. I was like. Like there, there were, I mean, two or three other, there was one that went in favor of the Knicks and that, and then there was, was, I think one other that went in favor of, of Dallas, but the refing tonight was just, you know, both ways, not great. And, you know, like, like Tom said, Breen, who's a national broadcaster, he does a lot of stuff for, uh, I think TNT, like usually he is very impartial and he was, he was commenting on how bad the refing was. So if that's the case, then I think it's it's even beyond our bias that it actually is bad refing. Yeah, man, that was something else. I will say, uh, just going beyond the refing, you know, NBA.com, they, they measure clutch performance as being within the last five minutes of the game and the score being within five. And, and as I mentioned before, uh, the Knicks have really struggled to score when that's been the case in close games down the stretch. And so just going back to looking at how the Knicks scored in this one during crunch time, and it was – their, the entirety of their scoring was four Porzingis free throws, a Jared Jack floater that he got hit pretty good on, and then four Courtney Lee free throws. So it ended up being eight points off free throws and uh, and then one bucket in crunch time. So like th- that's not what you're hoping for <laughs> for uh, for an offense down the stretch, but you know that that's it was just enough to get by, right? So yeah, n- yeah. no complaints, I guess, but. Maybe a couple complaints. Like, <laughs> you'd like to see Hornets. Like, we'll talk about him a little later. Just drop some plays to get more open looks because that's not really sustainable offense, uh, in in my opinion. Yeah, I I think you know it's it's tough when you because you don't want to get away from the basketball, but it had to be had to be mentioned. And I I think from a basketball standpoint, what did we really see tonight? We we saw it. I mean. The point guard play was actually kind of solid and not, not as solid as the box score would tell you. Uh, Frank, Frank had a pretty solid game. Again, kind of one of his generic stat stuffers, not too flashy, but 7.7 board, five assists, one steal, two blocks. That's, that's a day at work. And I'm, I mean, Jared, a Jack, couple good blocks too. A couple good <laughs> blocks. And I mean, Jared Jack ends up with 12 and eight. So a solid point guard play. I mean, they also, I mean, they ended up with, 10 offensive rebounds. I mean, in total rebounds, they out-rebounded Dallas 59 to 40, um, which, I, yeah, that's, so that's, about, that's about 20 more opportunities. But also, well, they're not all offensive rebounds, excuse me. Uh, the other big thing basketball-wise, as I was going to mention before Kenny takes it, is uh, the turnovers. The Knicks had 16 turnovers. So I guess while I <laughs> pump up the point guards, I'll bring them back down. And the Mavericks only had seven turnovers. Pretty impressive. Uh, what do you got, Ken? 
So what I was, there was two things that, that you touched on that I wanted to kind of um, jump back on. And one is the, the whole, the big kind of I at, uh, story in this one was Frank versus uh, Dennis Smith Jr. And we talked about it a little bit before the pod and they didn't really go head to head that much. But um, looking at their stat stat lines, like you can't look at the stat line of, uh, of Dennis Smith Jr. and be like, oh, he was definitely should have been the pick. And Breen also mentioned it during the game that, uh, what I've been saying forever, which is that Dennis Smith Jr. refused to take a physical, refused to get medical records. So, you know, a lot of teams were hesitant to take him. Um, but Smith's line was 11 points, three rebounds, five assists, two steals, which, you know, is solid. But, you know, a lot of people are acting like, you know, he was definitely the guy to take. Uh, but I, as you guys know, am very much on Team Frank. Uh, the yeah, other thing I wanted to mention. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, I mean, Dennis Smith Jr. was seen as the more NBA-ready prospect coming out. So even if Absolutely. you look at their counting stats and you decide that DSJ's numbers are, are far superior, that's not a surprise, right? Like this year wasn't supposed to be the, the determining year um, when you compare those two players head-to-head anyway. So uh, there's not really too much you can draw from their numbers. It's just looking at the players – seeing the type, their styles of play and what you think their ceilings are uh, based on what they can and can't do so far and just what you think they, they'll be able to do in the future athletically and skills-wise. And you know, one thing is... Oh, special surprise guest. Wow. It's me, Greg. Greg. Greg Poon from the top rope, everyone. Dennis Smith Jr. came out of the game with 448 left and then he didn't come back in also. So that's the thing to know. That's all I got. I'll see you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs> Greg, Greg, with the final five minutes on DSJ, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think we have to move on from this game, and I, I just because it is fresh in our memories, which is nice. But I, I think, in again, working backwards for whatever reason I chose tonight brings us to the Miami game, where I again can't participate. I was getting texts from you. I was hiding in the bathroom reading some things. I'm I'm just going off the box score, so I'll I'll let you guys talk about it. And I think I can. I'll I'll go back to you again. I know we've been running a lot of ISO in the post with you right now, but uh, and I I think we the first thing that needs to be said again is referees, and and then that's it for the night. Then we can't talk about it anymore. Yeah, and uh, this was kind of like one of the angrier times that I've had this season was the call um, that Kelly Olynyk got. In down one, where he just drove, he did a spin move, he jumped in the air, and then he landed, and he threw the ball into his own face. And uh, instead of calling it travel, the refs called a foul and gave him two free throws. And uh, he hit those free throws, and they took a one-point lead. Um, it ended up going into overtime because of a, a three with about, I think, a second left by uh, Doug McDermott. So, you know, it didn't, you know... It didn't end the game, but certainly at that point, if he travels with the Knicks up one and they get the ball back, like that's a game changer. And, you know, that's that could have ended with them winning it instead of losing it in overtime. So that's, you know, the the refs came out or the uh, NBA came out after with a two minute report and said that that was a foul. Having watched it, I can guarantee you it was not a foul. So, you know, it is what it is again. And it's a it's a tough loss. And I guess we just got to gonna go with it yeah and there there's a few calls that the uh jeff hornacek mentioned after the game the kelly olenic call uh courtney lee got 
called for a foul block and uh, Josh Richardson down the stretch of the fourth quarter. So we mentioned that's a uh, that's just four points right there in a game that went to overtime. So that, that was tough. Uh, other than the 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 poor refing down the the very stretch of the the game. I didn't think it was – I don't think the rest were that bad until the end, to be honest. They were there, but they – maybe that's just because the end of the game was actually where it got decided. So I didn't really care at the beginning. But uh, it was a close game throughout. Largest lead of the game was Heat by 10. So um, it was a good basketball game other than the Knicks losing. It's uh, pretty yeah, much and I, have a, I had to say. I have a stat for Tom because I know he's uh, he's big on stats. But the – Miami shot 42 threes and made 12 as compared to the Knicks who only shot 13. So Miami made 12 threes and the Knicks attempted 13. Like I think your big line is at some point, you know, you're fighting a losing battle against math. So I I think we talked about this before and I just want to know what your thoughts on that was. Well, and Kenny, it's funny you bring that up. Like the Knicks shot better from the field than the Heat did. They made and took more free throws than the Heat did. So you just wonder, like, how did they end up scoring fewer points? And, I mean, the reason the reason for it is that they just took a lot more because of second chance opportunities. The Heat had way too many offensive rebounds, which is so rare for the Knicks to, to give up because usually they're the ones, like, with Cantor and with O'Quinn and with uh, Porzingis and some of their other guys, they – they do such a good job of um, grabbing offensive rebounds, getting second chance points that that's usually a positive uh, aspect of the game for them. But in this one, the heat dominated them there. And then the Knicks just turned the ball over too much. And that, like that's, that's the perfect way to not get shots up is to just give the ball to the other team. So the game winning free throws for the heat actually in overtime came off of a, um, a Jarrett Jack turnover um, where Jack turned it over. There was a fast break on the other side. And then I think it was McDermott had kind of a pretty weak foul, to be honest, against uh, Josh Richardson, who knocked down the two free throws to win the game. Um, and then, you know, coming down on the other side, Beasley, <laughs> Beasley, who was like kind of our, our go-to guy in, in crunch time there, he drove and kicked to Jack, Jared Jack again, who missed the, the contested jumper that would have tied it up. But um, so there was, honestly, it was too much Jared Jack down the stretch there, but um, in general, the the reason for the loss, flat out, too many second chance opportunities for the Heat and turn the ball over too much. It just flat out too many field goal attempts for the Heat. Yeah, and that, that was, the, the O boards is where it was, was decided in my book. We got, uh, what was it? It wasn't very close. I know that. It was like 8 to 15 or something. 8, eight to and 15 was right. Yeah, and that's, that's just bad, and as we've discussed before, O-boards are demoralizing as well as worth an extra possession. So that just hurts the psyche. I know Tom mentioned it, but Michael Beasley uh, did a little fourth-quarter takeover again. Um, and then in overtime when we think that uh, all the momentum is going our way because we just forced the overtime at the very end of the game, Beasley hits a, hits a nice jumper. And he, he sprains his ankle running back on the court, backpedaling. So that, that was a real killer for us. And then he was out for about, I don't know, four and a half minutes or three minutes overtime. Comes back in at the very end, makes a nice pass to Jared Jack, who just misses. And, Ugh. I mean, 
Good look, good look by, by Jared Jack. It was, it was probably like, uh, I don't know. It was it was one of those where they say it's a tough shot because it's in between, but it's like you're, you're really close. That's really not a tough shot. Um, and the possession before, um, everything was – there was kind of a, a lot of mayhem, and Jared Jack had a wide open shot then, and he decided not to take it and pull it back out for – to run some offense, to get everybody set to let the heat get set and play defense for some reason. Exactly. Uh, I mean, I mean, it's just, just the Knicks aren't an aggressive transition team. And that, that was a, I don't know if that was transition as much as it was just a, a, a mad fray, but they had, they had a shot to take a, they had a shot to take a shot there and they didn't take it. A shot to take a shot. I like that. And they didn't take it. And they didn't take it. <laughs> Sounds like the Knicks past twenty years. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know. Any any closing notes on that game? Can we can we backpedal one more or what? Yeah, sounds, let's keep going. Keep it moving. Sounds like a yeesh to me. Uh, and the last last game we'll cover this week again, going in reverse order because I'm a fool. Because uh, we we actually ended up we covered the San Antonio game on Tuesday night uh, in our last podcast. I, I know y'all listened, so I don't have to say that. But uh, getting ourselves back on a regular schedule after the holidays, this was the next night after that, back-to-back games, uh, left New York, took the train down to Washington. Uh, we play one half of pretty good basketball. We're, we're down one at the half, and then we, we kind of just lose our composure, get blitzed a little bit, and you know we end up almost losing a game by 20 points. Tom, what, what do you think happened in Washington, babe? Yeah, so this this was the second night of a back to back, and I actually just went back and and rewatched a bunch of the first half highlights, mostly looking to see just what happened defensively, because giving up 121 points is pretty brutal. But the Knicks the Knicks defense has been really good, even in this um, the the past, the previous eight games before tonight when I said they'd gone one in seven, they were still 12th in the league defensively. So the the problem was was their offense. But in this game, they, they just could not stop Washington, who, frankly, they, they were hitting a lot of unsustainable shots, a lot of mid-rangers, some contested ones too. But just going back, looking through those highlights, you'll notice nearly every single play involved pick and roll where they had Gortat, who was being guarded by Cantor, screen for the ball handler, and Cantor just had no shot at defending the guy. It was, it was really hard to watch. Um, it didn't matter if Cantor switched onto the ball handler or if he just sort of like tried to corral him. It, it didn't work. So Gortat went nine for 10, had 21 points. Um, I think Cantor had the worst plus minus on the team as well. And, and people wonder why Hornacek doesn't play Cantor in the fourth quarter and in crunch time. It's because of that. Like he really, I, I'll tell you what, just like watching all the highlights in a row, it, it, it's shocking. He, he really can't play defense in the pick and roll and just his lack of awareness. It really hurts the team. So um, I, I love Cantor's attitude. I like the energy. I like his offensive rebounding and he is so skilled. Um, but on the offensive end, but just defensively, he can't hold up and, and it's a major problem. Yeah, that was uh that was pretty bad. I mean, I think, I mean, given the given the topic that we're talking about, maybe now's the time for me to drop my my stat of the night. Um, so, Tom, you started getting into it. If you were to guess 
how many fourth quarter minutes uh, Cantor played this week? What would you guess? Uh, I'd imagine he probably played 10. Zero. Zero this week. Zero in the last six games total. He has not played in the fourth quarter in the last six games. And like that, insane. And that includes tonight, a night in which he finished the third quarter with 13 points and 18 rebounds. So, you know, there is something to that. Like his defense just has hit a point where maybe he's unplayable in the fourth quarter. But you'd think that, you know, even just to start the fourth quarter before you bring back Porzingis or something, like get him some minutes, get him because he is a very efficient scorer. He's bad at defense, but he's good at scoring and he's good at rebounding and he brings energy. So, um, we might talk a little bit about that, a little more about that a little later, but uh, sticking on the Wizards game while we're here, um, this was another game that we were, you know, in it at the half, and then they came out and just played terribly in the third quarter. They lost the third quarter 26 to 14. Um, and this was, like we said, the second out of a back to the back. And after the game, um, Porzingis said that he's tired because it's the second out of a back to back. Uh, which got a lot of kind of jeers uh, from people, but you know, it's I think people are making more of it than it actually is. Uh, like it's the second night of back to back, and what he said was, "If you're not tired after that, then you're not playing hard," which is true. It's just kind of a a bad optics thing. Um, the big thing that I wanted to talk about, and we, and you mentioned it with Gortat had 21 points. Gortat, Wall, and Beal all over 21 points. Gortat had 21, or yeah, Gortat had 21, Wall had 25, Beal had 27. And the three of them combined shot 29 for 40 for, for 42 from the field, which is just under 70%, which is something that you can't do. You can't let their three best players go for what's that? 75 points with on 70%, 70% shooting. Like, that's bad. Yeah, yeah Kenny, they also uh, they also allowed Washington to shoot eighty two percent from the restricted area, which is usually a strength of theirs. Having Porzingis as one of the best rim protectors in the league, and even Cantor, he's big enough that he can just put his hands up and like he does a fine job defending the restricted area. But yeah, the Wizards shot twenty two of twenty seven from the restricted area, so that's uh, not not a recipe for success there. And we're we're gonna dive into Cantor a little more in a little bit. It's um, I I just things that jump out. If you know Gortat is one of the last, I don't want to say true center, but Gortat's a center. And if Cantor can't play with that guy, that's a bad look. Uh, I mean the other, I I know we touch on plus minus a lot, which isn't a be all end all stat. Uh, the Washington starters are all plus twenty and up. Uh, Morris with the high of plus twenty eight. Their whole bench was in the negative while um, our – not our whole bench was in the positive. Not our whole bench was in the positive. But our our starters look like they got blitzed pretty good in comparison. A couple – Beasley, McDermott, and, of course, Handsome Ron Baker were in the positive for plus minus. But, yeah, when, when your starters are getting blitzed for plus, tw- plus 20, plus 28, plus 25, that's, that is not a winning formula. Um. So, and any any other notes on the Wizards game? Any other notes on the games games this week before we dive in a little deeper? Terrible. Wizards game was terrible. <laughs> great, great, so great. One thing I wanted to know, the uh, the end of the first half, there was that uh, the buzzer beater by John Wall when the Knicks just decided to not not play yeah. basketball for the 
for the end of that. I mean, you got to close out halves. The Knicks just – they just seem to stop playing basketball a little bit early every every single quarter. And I don't know. I don't know. That, if that, one, that one more literally than – than they usually do. They usually just do it figuratively. <laughs> let the team, let the other team go on a long run. That time they and literally just stood there. I don't know if it was uh, that game or the Heat game, but there was another one of those plays where not, there was two guys there for the rebound. Neither of them got it, and the other team ended up with a three, and then ended up going on a run and winning it. And that's like the second or third time that's happened in the last couple of weeks, which is like, I, I don't know know what the coaching does or what the players are doing but if there's a loose bound re- or a loose ball rebound someone's got to get it yeah that's right that was the heat game Beasley dropped it out of bounds at the, down the stretch of the fourth quarter that just a bad strategy I, yeah. you know again yeah. not not a not a hoops expert but can't can't just drop the ball out of bounds let's uh let's get into our layup lines a little bit there we we got a slightly different approach this week we're uh uh, you know, there's one topic that I – it depends how you look on it. it. It could be a little thing. It could be a big thing. We'll we'll get there in a second. But I, I think the first thing that is a layup, we'll, we'll get loose with this one. Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, said he was eyeing a comeback uh, later in the road trip. I think he said January 18th. Is that right? Um, uh, and I, I don't think that was confirmed, right? Well, he said he said, the, or I think Hornacek said that they're eyeing the uh, six-game West Coast road trip. He's going to come back sometime in that range, which starts on uh, I think January fifteenth against Brooklyn, technically, and ends on January twenty-sixth. One, two, three, four, five, six. That's actually an eight-game road trip. So I think I think they said sometime in that stretch, which is you know about a two-week stretch. Yeah, and I mean, Tom, I guess do we? I don't. This this kind of ties into some grander questions, but I, I mean, had you know, you mentioned the Knicks last eight games, they go one and seven, things like that. I mean, are we kind of downplaying that Tim Hardaway Jr. has been missing? I I I mean, any any other team's second best player is missing. I feel like it's more of a headline. Like Tim Hardaway Jr., we kind of mention it casually, but we still kind of expect big things from the team during this road trip. Second best player out. I don't know. Yeah, Jake, I mentioned it in – I mentioned my article I wrote earlier about the Knicks' clutch offensive performances. And one pretty surprising thing I, I found out was that before Tim Hardaway Jr. went down, the Knicks actually had the best clutch net rating in the league. They were outscoring opponents by almost 41 points per 100 possessions in crunch situations, which is pretty remarkable. Um but lately, particularly without Hardaway, they have just struggled so much to to score, to to get to the line, which is something Hardaway does great. And and you mentioned that, uh, or someone mentioned that the Knicks aren't much for for transition buckets, and that's just something Hardaway does. I mean, he's athletic, he's dynamic, he can he can dribble, which is a step up from some of the some of the guys who the Knicks have to play in crunch time. And uh, I mean. Yeah, Hardaway Jr. is a is a huge loss for them, especially for their offense, which has been the biggest issue for them. And he's not a huge detriment to the defense either. So he's he's kind of a two way player who who you can plug in, and and I think he'd make a big difference on the offensive end without detracting on the defensive end. Yeah, and he he can create for himself too. And I know in your article, Tom, you mentioned that uh, down the down the stretch in crunch time or whatever, Courtney Lee's been one for eleven in the last some amount of games when he's been 
shooting in crunch time. And it's been a lot of ISOs for some reason. I, I don't think that's the play, but it just ends up with the ball in his hand. With the Knicks, it seems like the play breaks down a lot. And uh, with the play breaking down, you'd rather have a guy like Tim Hardaway Jr. with the ball in his hands than, uh, than Courtney Lee. Yeah, I watched a bunch of Lee's clutch uh, possessions, and he just – he can't get the he, – he's not athletic enough to get the separation against defenders who are locked in one-on-one. You know, he's, he's quick enough where in, in transition, if he gets a step or he's got some space to work with, he can get the job done and put the ball in the basket. But when it's crunch time and, and defenses are, are locked and loaded and geared up, like he just can't get the separation and, uh, and he doesn't do a great job of making plays for others. He, what he's been doing a lot of is just pump faking, trying to get guys in the air and then, you know, getting himself stuck between a shot and a pass. So uh, yeah, Lee has not been the answer so far in crunch time. And let me say, Tom, that um, the NBA two-minute report in that heat game did say that Courtney Lee got fouled uh, on his pump fake uh, in the last, I think it was like 1.2 seconds. So he should have been shooting three free throws down four, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, I agree with everything that you guys are saying. Um, I think that if Tim Hardaway Jr. comes back or when Tim Hardaway Jr. comes back, you know, you're shifting Courtney Lee down one spot in um, as far as like his importance on the offensive end which I think is big because he's a guy that can hit open shots. He's not necessarily the guy that you want creating it, creating them. Um, and we've talked about, you know, what do you do down the stretch? What's your lineup? Um, who's handling the ball? When Tim Hardaway Jr. was playing um, down the stretch, it was he would handle the ball in the pick and roll with Porzingis, which works great because it's your two best players, your two best scoring options in the offense. And then, you know, they would have, you know, Frank in for defense, not handling the ball. And I know, you know, Greg's a big fan of of uh, saying that sometimes Frank just does stupid stuff, like tonight passing it to the wrong team down the stretch, which is something that he shouldn't do. But if he's not handling the ball, you don't have to worry about that, and you can let him play defense, and you can you know, get those two guys playing a two-man game with shooters on the on the outside and have good defensive players on the defensive end. So I think it is a game-changer when um, – when Hardaway comes back on both the offensive side and the defensive side down the stretch. And I think your article kind of, kind of lays that out for how well they were playing previously as compared to how well they're, they're playing now. But, you know, until then we just gotta, we just gotta hope that Courtney Lee can make a few more shots and, you know, Michael Beasley comes back healthy and rounds back into MVP form. Yeah. And as you mentioned, uh, not only is Courtney Lee shifting down, his burden on offense when Hardaway Jr. comes back, but you're also shifting down the guy who's guarding him. You're going to have a better defender on Tim Hardaway Jr., so you're going to have the uh, secondary defender on on Courtney Lee. So hopefully he'll be able to take advantage of that. I think a, a, an important phrase that I think all you guys said was, you know, kind of getting open or creating shots, getting open. And there's one guy who's huge on the team that we haven't really talked about who that's kind of his job. And I'm talking Jeff Hornacek, the NBA jam stud. And I, I know this, this is a little tough because winning cures everything. When you're winning, everybody's happy. When you're losing the finger, finger pointing starts. And I mentioned Tim Hardaway Jr. Being out. Um, we've had some cre- critique about some of the inbounds plays. It felt like 
the Knicks hadn't had a good inbounds plays for a couple weeks. <laughs> and then we we did see a good one tonight uh, in the Mavericks game when they subbed out Chris Stapps and put in Willie. Uh, and Willie had a nice little backdoor pass to McDermott, I believe. And that, that was a pretty nice play. So I'll, I'll give some love there. But, I mean, we, we talk about, uh, you know, the future with Chris Stapps, the future with our big men, the future of Frank, this, that, and the other. Um you know, our fourth quarter numbers, they were due to regress a little bit. Never mind when you add Timmy to the factor. At a certain point, when do we start looking at Jeff a little harder? And do we say, you know, we have to be tar- harder on this guy? Do we see Jeff Hornstack being part of our future? I know these are loaded questions. Greggy, do you you want this one first or what? Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, uh, winning cures everything. So, um, I mean, earlier this season, even we've been saying this guy goes with the hot hand. We love it, but. When that doesn't work out, you're just saying, why Why is he doing that? Like tonight, uh, Frank turned it over. He put Jared Jack in the game. Jared Jack is the game winner. Good job. Good job, Jeff. Last game, took out Frank. Jared Jack blew the game. What are you doing? What are you doing, Jeff? Why are you putting Jared Jack in? It's Frank's time. So, I mean, he's he's not in a, a win-win situation. He's pretty much in a lose-lose situation, really, with Jack and Frank. So, that's a tough one. But then what, one thing I wanted to mention, sorry, Tom, uh, that Willie substitution tonight uh, with for Porzingis in the fourth quarter, I did not understand that at all. He had Porz- he had uh, Willie and O'Quinn in down the stretch of this fourth quarter in a close game, um, and that may partially come from Porzingis saying he was tired the other day. But I mean, it worked out for a minute. But then when Porzingis comes back in, he's he's no longer in the flow of the game. Everything falls apart. They go on a fifteen to two run and. All of a sudden, the game's tied. We feel like we're going to lose it. Oh, no, this is happening again. I mean, luckily, we pulled it out, but that, that was a questionable decision. Yeah, Greg, the conversation around Hornacek is definitely based on results, probably more so than it should be, right? Like, it probably should focus more on the process that leads to the the, the wins or the losses. And just one, one process-related thing I want to talk about is something we talk about every week, and that's three-point shooting. And we, we talked about it earlier, like I, like Kenny mentioned, about fighting against math. And I just want to throw a stat out there because this is this is partly Hornacek, right? Like he, he has control over the offense to an extent. He can, he can stress certain aspects of the offense. The Knicks shoot 26% of their shots from three, which is by now actually by far the lowest percentage in the league. And then they allow opponents to shoot almost 40% of their shots from three, which is almost, it's the second highest rate in the league. So they're, they're giving up tons of threes on the defensive end. They're shooting just so few, like, like the, the number of threes they're shooting, it looks like they're like the 1999 Knicks squad. It doesn't even make sense. So just stressing that his three point shooters like McDermott, like Porzingis, like Lee. And when Hardaway Jr. Comes back, he is never, you know, shy to launch triples, which is going to be a nice, you know, change of pace. But just getting his team to shoot more threes and they, they shoot more mid-range jump shots than any team in the league. It's just, it's not conducive to a good offense. And, and it's, that's been bearing out recently. So that's, that's something I would put on Hornacek. Yeah. And other, other than Courtney Lee and McDermott, it doesn't feel like anybody likes to catch and shoot really. Um, Porzingis does from time to time, but he, he he's more inside. But Lance Thomas, I mean, Ron Baker, Frank Beasley, all those guys, when they get it, they like to pump fake and take a dribble. And 
that's that's not when you get your best look from three. So I don't know. Maybe just tell these guys, hey, well, let's let's just actually take these shots. I know tonight um, Lance Thomas just was wide open in the corner, and decided to pump fake and step out of bounds instead. So yeah, and if I could jump in for a second, I think that uh, Hornacek, you know, has made some adjustments uh, to kind of his strategy. Um, I know recently he's had the the point guard start pushing it up a little bit more, although, you know, down the stretch they've been kind of regressing back to a very slow pace. Um, and as far as he – as far as we've talked about, you know, some of the more questionable substitutions, like he's, he's the guy that plays the hot hand, and I mentioned uh, this to you guys beforehand, but, you know, the nail that sticks out gets hammered, right? So if it works, we're fine with it. If not, like everyone is questioning what he's doing. And if you go with kind of the conventional wisdom and you're wrong, it's defensible. If you do something a little different and you're wrong, there's nothing worse than that because then everyone's there's a very clear, obvious thing that you should have done that was wrong. And uh, I think I said that that's what they say about you know NFL GMs uh, in the draft where they got to either – you know, they can take a risk on one player or they can take a much safer pick. And a lot of times you want to take the safer pick just because you're trying to keep your job. Hornacek doesn't care, right? He's just doing whatever the hell he wants. And sometimes it's good. And like Greg said, sometimes it's really bad. But I kind of like the fact that he's just doing what he does. Like, I wonder if there's any method to the madness. Like, if he's kind of a Joe Girardi guy that overanalyzes everything, he has every possible statistic for every situation. And, you know, he's in his head too much or if he's just kind of going with the hot hand but um we're not really privy to that information um jeff if you want to call in and kind of give us your your thoughts please do happy to have you uh but i i kind of like him but there are the things that he does as far as you know their three-point defense is terrible they just leave people open and let them shoot and again like tom said they just don't shoot enough threes which is you know in the modern game i don't know how how well that translates. And uh, one one thing, and I guess part of what's prodded this question, because the Knicks kind of did that hot start uh, that kind of got all of us super locked into this season. And I, I'm going to go with a, a quick yes and no around the horn. And I'll, I'll, I'll let you guys, I'll let you guys absorb it for a minute. If the Knicks don't make the playoffs this year, do you think there's a ch- do you think Jeff Hornacek comes back as the head coach? Because right now in my head, I'm saying no. Because with that hot start the Knicks got, they showed their potential. And I know Tom said we should be building towards a bigger a bigger prize at this point. You know, it should be, end of the day, some of the main things we were looking at with growing Chris Dapps, growing Frank, et cetera, et cetera. But – with some of the stats you just mentioned and with the Knicks showing that they have the ability to compete, I don't know. I just think the Knicks' job has become more appealing. Hornacek will kind of have run his time there. And I I don't know. I just don't see at this point, if they were not to not make the playoffs, even if the season goes very awry and they tank, I still think a finger comes at him pretty hard and they say they're going to move on. So I'll, I'll go around the horn. Tommy? I think even if they don't make the playoffs, that Hornacek will be back next year. I think this team is really, really starving for some stability, especially after the whole Phil Jackson regime and just the craziness that went with that. I think Steve Mills and, and the crew are going to be looking for a little more normalcy here. And uh, I think they're going to give Hornacek 
a pretty long leash. I, I don't see him being fired at any time before next season. Kenny P? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Tom that that's what should happen. Uh, I feel like Hornacek's getting more flack than he should, but a lot of, you know, once the media train starts going and people start questioning him, it becomes more questionable. Um, in my opinion, this is kind of Jeff's first year as the actual head coach because previously, like, uh, Phil Jackson made him run the triangle, which he is not a triangle coach, so it didn't make any sense. Um, so I'm pretty much saying this is his first year, and I'm wondering if that hot start has kind of been like a curse to the Knicks because going into those first three games that they got blew out, I was just like, all right, this is a year that they're going to, you know, they're going to win 20, 25 games. They'll be fine. I actually said they were going to win 30. You guys said they were going to win 20. Um, but like, I didn't really care because I wasn't expecting anything. And then they went on that hot stretch and now I'm invested again. And I'm like, every time they lose, it breaks my heart. Whereas early in the season, I was like, whatever. So I'm, I'm wondering if that's just kind of the case with everyone, right? Like after they had the hot star, everyone's like, all right, well, we should be winning. Whereas at the beginning of the season, there was no expectation of them doing anything this season. Everyone was completely in on, you know, Donchick or Aiton or Michael Porter Jr. and not even thinking about the playoffs. So like it's hard to say that a guy who has raised the expectation to, all right, maybe this team that we thought was going to be a very high lottery team is going to make the playoffs. And if they don't make the playoffs, we're going to fire the coach. Like that sounds ridiculous to me. Yeah. And I got to, I got to agree with you both. I think Tom was right that we, he should be back, but we're talking about the New York Knicks guys. Come on. Uh, Tom, Tom's mentions that that stability we need, but that's not a thing. We don't do that. Who cares? But we got James Dolan. Yeah. He's, he's willing to, to pay. he, Picked up Phil Jackson's option, then fired him the next day, pretty much. So just basically just handed Phil, what, $30 million just to just to go away when he could have paid him zero. Um, yeah. Other thing is – but the one thing in favor of Hornacek, like Kenny said, is that he, he did a good job at the beginning of the year. And then the second thing is we're coming off of Derek Fisher, who was the worst coach in the history of the entire world. So – Real low bar, I th- yeah. So I think I think we give Jeff a shot. So I don't love everything he does, but he's done enough good stuff to to earn. And we have to see where this season goes as well. Yeah, Jake, and I'm curious to hear what you have to say about Hornacek as well. I think, but before you do, I I think that you'd probably be good to speak about this. One good measure of a coach is just flat out how hard a team seems to play. Like for this guy. If a team has given up on a coach, it's usually pretty evident um, through body language, through their interactions and, and all that. So what, what they say in the media, I mean, do you think that Hornacek is, is the right guy for this squad right now? And do you see him getting let go before next year? You know, I'm a guy that shows my emotions and a guy who quits on the team. So, <laughs> I, man, I here's here's my thing. I A lot of times in sports, I go to storylines and you're going to – here's – I, I so this is what happens if the Knicks season goes awry awry they end up not really in the playoff picture at all um I think that would kind of be okay for Jeff whether it's whether Zinger gets hurt or Hardaway Jr. keeps staying nicked up then you know at the end of the day you could say hey these Knicks showed some serious potential under Hornacek they are hustling and trying their best out there and I think you kind of bring that into next year and say okay let's bring a little more 
if they kind of go for the playoffs and they keep doing kind of these things where they malaise at times, I know it's the NBA and teams go for runs, but like we've, we just talked about two missed rebounds that have cost us basketball games just because guys didn't grab them. I know that doesn't fall on Jeff Hornacek, but at the end of the day, if we keep giving up these runs, we almost blew this game in Dallas tonight, a game that we should have had easily. So I just think all of you touched on great points. I think Greg saying that, <laughs> our owner James Dolan I think Kenny saying uh you know just once the New York media gets their hands on something like this like Tom the stat you dropped that the Knicks are last in the NBA in attempting three-pointers like I don't care who's on our squad at this point in today's NBA if you're I know someone has to finish last but you better have the most shots in the paint or shots at the rim or something like that and I I don't know at the end of the day if you go to the New York media you know, Hornacek wasn't, you know, this regime's head coach they necessarily want to bring in. He was he's a part of the Phil regime, technically. And, you know, if you finish bottom in threes, you know, the Knicks expectations start flying through the roof. You know, a couple podcasts ago, we're talking about the sixth seed. And now now we're talking about a surviving head coach. So, I mean, I I think I think what you're saying is right. I, you know, a stabilizing head coach. I think coaches get the plug pulled on them too quick. But at the same time, also there's the sex appeal to the Yankees job, which I think is what ended up hurting Joe Girardi that, you know, the Knicks job kind of wasn't too appealing. And now, okay, Frank showed us a little something. Chris Stapps has shown us a little something. Tim Hardaway Jr. is very talented. You know, this was a team that was struggling to bring in a head coach. I, I think a, a storm's brewing a little bit. And I guess that's why I brought it up. And, and Jake, to your point, uh, the, the Knicks, like I said, they shoot the fewest amount of three or the fewest uh, percent of their shots from three, I should say. They shoot the 16th most amount of shots in the restricted area, so about league average. Um, but they shoot the most from mid-range. So that's where, that's where a lot of those shots are going. They're going from three to the mid-range. They only shoot 39% from the mid-range, which is just below league average. And so it's like it's not like you're very good at it. What, why are you shooting so many of those mid rangers? You, you know, you shoot just as well. For, they shoot this pretty much the same percentage, just a little bit worse from three as they do from mid range, and those are worth another point. So just go ahead and do those. Take a few steps back. And, and that's just kind of jumping on what Jake was yeah. saying. Um, New York's a wild place, man. And uh, Mike Woodson had went 54 and 28 that one season and then the next season he didn't make the playoffs and I'm pretty sure he got fired after the next season so there's no real loyalty uh with New York around coaches the thing that I'd worry about though is that you know, Dolan has not shown much you know adeptness at picking coaches he usually goes for the big name and it usually fails spectacularly like if we look back you know uh he hired Lenny Wilkins, the all-time winningest coach of all time. That didn't go well. Isaiah Thomas, we remember that. Mike D'Antoni didn't go well. Uh, Mike Woodson went well for a little bit, and I, but he was hired after being an assistant coach with the Knicks, so that was more of an internal hire than him kind of trying to make a splash. Uh, and then Phil Jackson come in, came, comes in as the ultimate big name, as the you know president or head of basketball operations or whatever he was, and then he starts bringing in his own guys, which included Derek Fisher, who was terrible. And uh, then Jeff Hornacek, who is much better than Fisher. So it's it's kind of a, you know, we know what we have now. I'm worried about what James Dolan would do as far as hiring a head coach if we get rid of Hornacek. Yeah, and one, one thing about Mike Woodson, 
that they, they missed the the playoffs by one one game after after being the two seed the previous year. But the entire season, he was just like not taking the blame himself. He was just saying, just questioning the team's effort every single loss, pretty much, and. That just pissed off J.R. Smith and Carmelo Anthony. So he pretty much just lost the team at that point. So he pretty much had to be gone. So they made the right decision there. Um, then one funny thing that I thought was Tom was saying how uh, can a coach get his guys to play hard? And I think the Knicks play hard, but it just looks like they have no idea what they're doing sometimes. So. <laughs> yeah. So That's another like, big part of it. So yeah, we like we like. We like you, Jeff, but like, tell us, tell us what to do, though. Yeah, and I, I know we we're way too early to start comparing ourselves to the Warriors, but hey, they got rid of Mark Jackson for Steve Kerr because they thought he could take him to the next level. He ended up doing that, and I don't know when I, I, I want to picture this Knicks team winning championships or competing for championships, and I don't think Jeff Hornacek's that guy. So, I guess, Just- I, I guess that's why I brought it up. What's that, Ken? I was just going to say, just remember that uh, if the Warriors didn't make that move, it looked like Steve Kerr was coming to the Knicks. And, you know, how, you know, I I understand that, you know, he's doing very well now, but I'm pretty sure if he was on the Knicks, he would not have the success that he had with the Warriors, especially under Phil Jackson, forcing him to run the triangle. I'm pretty sure we'd still, we'd have those two national titles is what I was going to call them. That's how long the Knicks have gone with that one in a championship. Um I don't know. I I think that was great stuff, guys. I know that was that was a heavy layup line. That was kind of like a young Gerald Green, J.R. Smith layup line, just throwing stuff down. So I I appreciate you guys taking the ride with me. Uh, let's uh let's let's jump into our floaters. It's a <laughs> it's a little bit of the same, and I, I think I think it's kind of why I wanted to harp on the Hornacek stuff was, uh, man, Michael Beasley. We I I worked the stats a little bit. I added the Spurs game and he was technically the leading scorer. When you take the Spurs game out, he was second leading scorer. But this is two consecutive weeks now that he's the second leading or the leading scorer. <laughs> I, I put in my fake Trump uh, tweet impersonation and said sad in all caps, which I, I don't know. It's, it's partially sad. I mean, Michael Beasley shouldn't be our regular leading scorer. It's uh, also, I've, I've been one of his biggest advocates. I, I think he's shown that he's either matured or his game has developed to a different type of level that he's, a clear contributor in this league. We, uh, we've debated his role on here. Um, Tom, I know I, you and me have had some good uh, rat and rat back and forth about what he does. I, I kind of came at Hornacek, Hornacek, Hornacek a little bit just because I think, you know, he's proven he's at least a top five talented player on the team right now. Some nights he seems like the number one guy. And I know he has his defensive li- liabilities and this, that, and the other, but at a certain point, you know, isn't it on Jeff to kind of get him and Chris Stapps to potentially work together? Is it an end, you know, have him beat up on second units, maybe get him involved at the end of the game? What, where are you at? I, I know you've got some great stats on him. And are any of my point per game stats trying to change your mind at all? Cause I don't think they are. No, well, Jake, it's funny. Is like, actually kind of, yes. I, I mean, I'm over here. Yes. I'm over here looking at his counting stats and just I'm talking points per game, just the efficiency he's doing doing it with. He's since December first, so this is a good sample size. He's played 18 games. He's averaging 16 points on 53% shooting. So for comparison, Kristaps is scoring 21 points per game, 
on 39% shooting. So, I mean, Beasley is just, he's been on fire. He's been our most efficient scorer. He's doing it mostly in isolation. 25% of all of his possessions that he's used has come out of isolation. So it's not really within the team scheme, which I think does lend itself more to like a sixth man carrying the bench unit type of role. And and part of me says that because when Hardaway Jr. comes back, you're going to have guys with, with Hardaway Jr. and Porzingis and even Lee who who need the ball. And, and I don't think Beasley really functions well in that kind of system. He, he needs to be the focal point of an offense to be effective, right? Like, and I think he could even be better at it if he's going against opposing second units where, you know, opponents' best wing stoppers aren't usually on their second units. Usually that's a starting defender. So, yeah, I think it's in a, we're in a weird spot here with Hardaway Jr. out because we need someone to create offense. So right now we're going to Beasley. And uh, when he comes back, I think that everyone's going to just fit. Everyone's going to fall into their roles a lot more nicely. But uh, – Right now, it's just a—it's uh, just kind of been like the twilight zone watching Beasley out there, and and you thought he was washed up. He was in China, and uh, and he comes back. He was, and he's just, he's he was the MVP in China. What's that? He was the MVP in China. The most valuable player in China, and he comes back here, and he's been the most valuable player in New York for for stretches too. So <laughs> we're not so different. Boom. Uh, yeah, Tom, I'm 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 with you on this. Um, I love Beasley. Love what he's been doing. Uh, the last the last two games that he played because he didn't play tonight. He's averaging twenty on sixty four percent shooting, which is really good. But it, it kind of comes down to what I've been saying all year: is the Knicks aren't winning a championship this year. Michael Beasley's on a one year contract, and his entire game is predicated on ISO offense, which doesn't bode well for helping the rest of the players develop. And as far as I'm concerned, this is still, you know, a play for the future franchise. We're not winning the championship this year. We have good young players and we're, that we're trying to develop. If we just hand the ball to Beasley, you know, 20 times a game and say, hey, go do your thing. What, what's that going to do for Frank? Nothing really. So, like, I agree that I think he's, he's a guy that, that would be much better served, you know, at a second unit just kind of going off. If we're, if we're, you know, continue to be in the playoff race, he's probably going to see some burn because he is a better player than, you know, most anyone else on the Knicks not named Kristaps Porzingis right now. So if that's the case, he's going to play. He's going to get his minutes. He's going to get his points. He's going to help the team win. I don't know if he's going to help the team develop. That's my concern moving forward. Greg, you want to tell him that Beasley's the all-star or what? Beasley's the all-star. Uh, <laughs> As Jake's mentioned before, this guy, he's not just scoring right now. He's looking to pass. Um, that dish to, Dar- to Jared Jack that, that Jared Jack missed was, was a great dish. If that's any other person in the world, that's probably that might be a game winner. So he's, he's looking to dish. He, uh, during that heat game, he also had a, a pull-up three that, that was huge for us. Um, He's been shooting well from three recently, it feels like. I know his percentage isn't that good, but I feel like recently it has been. I don't have the actual stat, but you can take my word for it. No, for this week in two games, 66.7%, so he's two for three this week. Yeah, yeah Greg, since December 1st, he is 50% from three on 1.2 attempts per game. That's pretty good. That is so, good. 
Shoot more. Those are, those are Steve Kerr type numbers. Uh, full <laughs> circle there. Too much time on basketball reference. But I, I don't know. I guess it's, it's again, for me, it's one of those take, take the name off the back, take the story out. And I, I think our narrative's a lot different. I, I know he obviously has his defensive liabilities. Um, you know, some of the number per hundred possession numbers are pretty disgusting. You know, I, I think you could, for his offensive capabilities going against second units, I think you can maybe blame the Knicks second units a little bit for the defensive numbers. I know they don't fully look like that. I don't know. I just want to see, and again, this comes back to when you're losing, things stick out a little more. I'd, I'd like to see, you know, try something. Run run some better sets with Beasley. He's shown that he's looking to pass on the offensive end. He's been getting some blocks and steals on defense. I don't know. Show some creativity with either maybe a high-low game with Chris Stapps and see what they can do. Um, I it, it feels like I know he still doesn't pass a lot, and I, I know I'm starting to get biased because he's just all-time swag team. But it feels like when you've just caved in to Beasley, like he's going to do his jab step and go at you, and that's all he's got. He's not looking to pass at all. Right at that moment, it feels like he kicks to the corner to an open Courtney Lee or something like that. So I don't know. I think it comes back to a little bit of wanting to see some creativity out of the offense, out of Jeff, and kind of working him in and seeing what happens a little more. But um, And I, I guess that's the other thing that if the Knicks are winning these games, we're saying – wow, Hornacek's been great. He's been getting the best out of Beasley. He's in his perfect role right now. So, Yeah, and I mean, going back to kind of my initial point, I agree with you guys that right now Beasley is maybe our second best player, probably our second best player. My concern is about, you know, development for the future. And even down the stretch, you know, for the future, you want Porzingis to have the ball in his hands down the stretch. And if we're giving it to Beasley, that's taking it out of Porzingis' hands. And that's just – I agree in an in-game situation, it might be the best play, but I, for development purposes, I want Porzingis to have the ball down the stretch this season. But, you know, that's just me. Tom, we're good? Yeah, I think that makes sense. I, I'm, I'm with Kenny. I mean, I'm in, I'm in development mode, too. I want to see Porzingis. <laughs> yeah. I want to see him re- regain his, uh, his early season form. He's really been struggling. He's had a hard time. It seems like getting his legs underneath him. He's been tired. He's been this and he's been that. He's been banged up. Um, but I, I want to see him get that confidence back. He's he's not been shooting the three ball too well. I know I know uh, tonight I think he actually shot it pretty well. But um, in the you know eight or so games prior to that, he's just been really struggling, even hesitant to let it fly from deep. So let's, let's see that unicorn swagger back from earlier this season when he was in MVP talks, you know, when he was – putting up almost 30 a game. He's uh he's coming back down to earth. And and that's been a, a pattern throughout his career are hot starts. And then, you know, he, he's still young. I think he still gets worn down by the the demands of a season. And this year's been no different. So uh, I'm I'm all for getting the ball in Brazingus's hands in crunch time and, and uh getting him some some reps that way. And let's talk about the big fella. I I I had him uh, a little bit later, but the segue's there, and I, I'm always going to take it when it's out there, because I, you know, I point a finger at Hornacek, one and seven in the last eight, um, this, that, and the other. Tim Hardaway's been out, yeah, that's a little bit of an excuse, but like you just said, Tom, we were, you know, <laughs> two, <laughs> two podcasts in, we're screaming, you know, get this guy in the MVP race, he's carrying the Knicks. Uh, is is it time to give Chris Stapps a little critique? I mean, is it 
fatigue? Is it a slump? Is it, you know, what, what, what do you think, Kenny? What, what do we say to Chris Stapps? I, I mean, right now it, I think we're just at the point it's leveling out. Is it, you know, over this road trip, you know, this road trip we've been dreading for months. Are we, you know, are we going to make a decision where we land on KP that the first part of the season was a little bit more of a aberration aberration. Did I say that right? I don't think so. But Kenny, where were you at a KP? One KP I'm, to another. Can that be? I'm, can that I'm be your still, new your new thing on Twitter or something? Yeah. One KP to another. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll work on that. Um, I'm still, you know, all in on KP. He's still he's playing well. You know, he's he's um, still scoring. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. is out, so it completely changes how defenses play him. And I think after his his hot start, defenses are kind of beginning to. Uh, figure out how to play him and which is very physical um, and there's been times where you know Mike Green mentions it a lot he'll be on a shorter guy and the guy will just hit his elbow and it's very hard to make a shot when you get hit on the elbow I think eventually if he keeps being kind of the guy that he is and he keeps developing he's going to get those calls and it's not going to be as big of an issue um, also you know you can see him develop because early in the season we were talking about if he gets doubled in the post he never passes it well, he's starting to, you know, hit get those very nice passes to other players. He had the pass to Doug McDermott, who hit the game tying shot to send the heat or send the heat game into overtime. So we're seeing him develop, and I think that's what we want. I think we have to remember when we when he was drafted, what the Knicks, what people were saying was, all right, this guy is three or four years away. Well, we're four years now, and he's possibly going to be an All Star. So, you know, we're doing well. Um, I also, you know, I think they've mentioned that he did a lot of weightlifting during the off season, but during the actual season, he doesn't have time to, you know, hit the weights. So he's been losing weight. Um, and I think that's kind of caused him to struggle as far as the physical play, but, you know, we'll, we'll see how that, if that becomes a serious issue moving forward, or if that's just a, you know, maybe he's just not playing well right now, but I, I'm, I'm not worried about him. He's still, he's still the unicorn. He's still doing well. Uh, he's he's the future of the franchise. We'll be all right. Yeah, and um, I think he's definitely wearing wearing down. So uh, earlier this year, you saw him try to dunk everything, but he doesn't do that anymore. He dunks it now and then, but doesn't seem as as explosive. S- saying that he's tired, so I'll I'll take his word for it. I mean, shouldn't we be more concerned about this? We're halfway through the season. This is his third year in the NBA, and he's worn out less than halfway through the season. And, I mean, Tom, talk about that a little bit. And talk about I, – I mean, the other thing that's jumping out to me, I guess, is – and this is tying it all together a little bit, but it never feels like Chris Stapps gets an easy bucket. Like, I, I don't know. I, I You see a lot of mismatches with little guys in the post, but like we said, he's getting that hit on the elbow a little bit, and it just looks kind of awkward. Like, I, I don't know. I just – I feel like we can be getting him a, a couple open threes and maybe do we want to see him run more or something like that? What, what do you think? Well, I, don't, I don't know if running more is a thing just because he's so tired. But uh, <laughs> I, mean, I like that. He's only 22 years old, so you hate to hear just, like, how tired he is. But And he's also missed a lot of games from injury. Um, maybe he needs more Popovich-like – sort of just maintenance games off. But in terms of the, the bucket, the, the looks that he's getting, I, I agree that uh, he needs more easy looks. He takes so many contested mid-rangers. He takes a lot of isolation shots, and he's he's really struggled in isolation this year. 
Um, he's only averaging like 0.76 points per possession in isolation. So that part of his game still has to come around. Um, but yeah, I, I think it, it, part of me thinks that because he makes it look so easy, just turning and shooting over shorter guys, that refs don't appreciate just like the, how difficult that is, how, t- how hard of a shot that is for him to try and hit. And they want to see him make more of an effort. Like turning and shooting, they don't think they, that deserves a foul call. But I think if Porzingis puts it on the floor and throws a pump fake and, and draws some contact, <laughs> works a little bit for it, uh, then I think he'd get the foul calls. It's just right now he makes it look too easy. And I, I think it's to his detriment. Ken, Greg, anything before we start talking next week? Nah, I think we got to – yeah, not the next yeah. week. I, I think it is funny, and the, it feels like Chris Epps doesn't have a middle area right now, Tom. It feels like he needs to throw all seven three arms in the air and it looks like he's flopping, or he just does it kind of too sachet and they don't they don't give it to him. So it, interesting little tidbit. There is, there is oh. one, one thing I want to say is I think you guys are – you know, miss everyone is misinterpreting the tired thing. It was the second night of a back to back, and like he said, he was tired. And people are interpreting that like it's a season long exhaustion. I think he was saying he was tired after playing the second night of a back to back in two different cities. But people are gonna say what they say. On to next week, go. <laughs> can I'll, I, I'll, can I'll I've seen you run up and down the court, babe? Especially when you were twenty two, you weren't getting stopped after two nights, three nights. I'll, I'll agree with Kenny that that's what he meant, but he also said he was tired and he's a professional athlete. So, you know, <laughs> true story. Who cares? If you, if you guys are – what he meant, but I'm just saying, look, it, he's been playing tired too. Yeah. Just from what I'm watching, he looks tired from the last, like, 12 games. He's looked tired, not just because he said it. That doesn't really bother me. The, the Duncan comment was great because he really was. He was being – being savage, trying to dunk everything, and I haven't seen that in a while. It, the only only thing I've seen be what the internet calls savage nowadays, basically been Greg on this podcast, just coming in hot when he wants to. Otherwise, hey, Porzingis hey. <laughs> tried to dunk it tonight, and he got swatted by Max Cleaver. Ooh, how about that? Big fan. So of maybe that's why. Big fan of the. Maybe that's why he doesn't do it anymore. Big fan of the show. Max Came back and hit a three the next play, though. It's true. I like that. All right. Next week, we're done, done pretending to bash our best player. Um, next week, boys, I, uh, you know, I, pivot week. I, I, I got to get the clip of Ross from Friends yelling pivot. Um, you know, <laughs> we, we like picking out our pivot games. I actually feel this is a sincere pivot week. I, I've said one in seven because it's the date and the Knicks past eight games. I mean, we have our last two home games until January 30th, which is home versus Brooklyn. Again, the vicious road cycle. And I think we've got a couple important game days off. Our next game is home Wednesday versus Chicago, Friday at Minnesota, home versus New Orleans Sunday. And I, I just think if we if, – if you've got something under two under three, I mean, I, or less than two wins out of three, I, I think the sirens got to be going off like they were going off earlier. Kenny, what do you got? Yeah, I'll say first off that um, Greg made my pick for me last week, which was one and two, and I was correct. So 
Nice. Uh, let, let me throw that out to start it. But uh, I think you're right. I think um, you hope to win the Chicago game and the New Orleans game at home, both at home. And then, um, you know, Minnesota's they're, – they're playing really well right now. Jimmy Butler's trying to force his way into the, the MVP conversation. But, you know, any given night we can win that game. So it could go 3-0. Um, but I'm, I'm hoping for 2-1. and one. I'm hoping for three and zero, but I think we will go two and one. Um, we're, we're actually two and seven in our last nine, Jake, because we won tonight. I don't know if you nice. noticed that. So, nice. So yeah, I mean, we will try to beat the Bulls for the our, our third try. Um, they seem third to be, times the charm. Seem to be our crib tonight, and that always seems to be the worst game I've ever seen. Um, hopefully, it's a good game and we win it. But you know. I don't know. Both of those games were in Chicago, so hopefully being at home will be good for us. We beat the Pelicans already in New Orleans, but maybe that's bad. I don't know. So I'll pick two and one. Tom, what's your pick? Jake, what's your pick? Let's get out of here. (laughs) All right, guys. Yeah, we got to wrap this up. Uh, We're running a little long here, but two and one, that's my pick. Like. I I can't go against the grain here. I I, I think we got to be – I think as a pod, we all have to choose two and one collectively and be in solidarity here and uh and and live and die by it all right well i'm going three and oh so (laughs) as long as we have the solidarity i i don't know you first home game at the pools you have to win have to have to have to that's 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 what we said the last time we played the bulls i know it and that's that's going to kind of set the tone so i don't know we uh like like the boys are saying we're starting to get yelled at by fiancés and girlfriends and dogs and all the above so I appreciate it. I I I, uh, I got really jazzed up for the Hornacek stuff, and I, I think we really crushed that. I uh, it's it's tough when the losing's happening. You gotta you gotta take the lumps. Hopefully, we start to turn it around, and then can bring that on the road trip. So, um, I appreciate it, boys. Uh, this was talking Knicks. Give us a follow on Twitter. Uh, Kenny does a lot of the during the game and the post game wrap ups. Tom mentioned his article about 20 times. Get over it, dude. No, uh, Tom's article was actually great this week. Uh, you have to check that out. My manifesto is happening this week. I've changed it from the New Year's sure manifesto is. to the mid-year manifesto. A lot of the topics we talked about, Greg is going to keep impersonating Savage Kermit from the internet. So I uh, I appreciate it, boys. Uh, give, us, give us a follow. Give us a review. Give us all of it, all right? Go Knicks. Thanks, guys. Go Knicks. Thanks, boys.